The most important question anyone can ask and answer is obviously, who is Jesus? It's a question that's been asked for 2,000 years, and it's a question that is still being asked and answered today. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus? You know, many would recognize him to be a great teacher, a prophet of God, a leader who changed the world, and the perfect example to follow. And we recognize him to be all that and more. There are, of course, other claims about his identity. And just this last week, a headline on Newsbreak caught my attention. This sounds ridiculous. This is what it said. Ancient manuscript claims Jesus of Nazareth lived in a Japanese village for 106 years. Well, I had to read the article. The article went on to state that a document written 1,500 years ago said Jesus went to Japan when he was 21 to study theology from a Shinto priest. That he returned to Jerusalem at 33 escaped persecution by trading places with his brother Isuriki or Kiki, uh, who was crucified in his place, and returned to Japan with a lock of his mother's hair and his brother's ear. Then, after traveling to Siberia and Alaska, he settled back in Japan and became a garlic farmer, dying at the ripe old age of 106. Now, obviously, we find this not only blasphemous, but ludicrous. But yet, 20,000 pilgrims travel to his supposed tomb every year and pay the equivalent of, I thought this is hilarious, 74 cents to visit the museum dedicated to his honor. That's really weird. But on the other side, recently Marilyn and I watched the movie Silence, a movie based on the persecution of Christians that took place in Japan when Christianity was banned from the early 1600s to the mid-1800s. During that time, thousands of Christians were martyred when they refused to renounce their faith by stepping on a bronze image of Christ on a cross. Obviously, they did not believe Jesus to be a garlic farmer. And obviously, it does matter what we believe him to be. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus? And perhaps most importantly, what did he claim about himself. Jesse Youngmi, the missionary to Thailand we supported for over 40 years, once told us that when going into another culture with their own religious beliefs, you don't get them to consider Christianity by comparing ethical codes. Some of them have codes of ethical behavior that are more demanding than ours. And you don't compare their level of devotion to ours. Sometimes they put us to shame. What you do compare is the claims of their founder with the claims 
of Jesus. For no other founder of a major world religion ever made the claims that Jesus made. Jesus claimed to be God, come to earth. And that is what sets him apart from all the others. They were teachers, prophets, leaders, examples to their people, but they were not God. Jesus is. And he made that clear to those with eyes to see and ears to hear. But not everyone wanted to hear what he had to say. One day, some six months before the crucifixion, the Jewish priests and Pharisees, who were extremely antagonistic to him and his claims, asked Jesus straight out, Who are you? Now, they weren't asking this because they had doubts that they wanted to clear up. They were asking this because they wanted Jesus to incriminate himself, to openly state what he had been intimidating or intimating, that he was God in the flesh. And they wanted him to state it in such a way that they could use it against him in a court of law and charge him with blasphemy. He answered them carefully in a pointed yet confusing way that left them scratching their heads without giving them the incriminating answer they were looking for. We find the question and his answer in the eighth chapter of John. And so they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. Now, the Jews weren't the only ones who were confused by his answer. Quite frankly, we're not really sure what he said here. The Greek is almost untranslatable. We can't even tell if he's making a statement or asking a question. The King James translates it, even the same thing I said unto you from the beginning. The NIV says just what I've been claiming all along. Moffat's translation asks the question, why should I talk to you at all? And the Amplified Version asks a question and makes a statement, why do I even speak to you? I'm exactly what I have been telling you from the first. Basically, he's saying, you know what I've been saying. And then goes on to add that he has many things to say to them. And by saying them, he judges them because they won't believe what he says. They are, in fact, condemned by their refusal to believe him. And in spite of their refusal to believe him, what he has to say is the truth. Because the one who sent him is true. And he's telling the world exactly what he's been told to say. John will note, in verse 27, that they didn't realize he was talking about the Father. How they could have been so blind is hard to fathom, and how Jesus knew they didn't understand who he was talking about, we're not told. Perhaps it was just that blank look in their eyes. Whatever the case, Jesus realized that they didn't understand what he was talking about. So he went on to make it clear that someday they would understand who he was. Someday, they would realize who it was that had sent him and the unique relationship he has with the one who sent him. They would understand all of this after they had lifted him up. 
Jesus therefore said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me, and He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He spoke these things, many came to believe in Him. To lift someone up generally means to exalt them. But in this case, Jesus was talking about something else. A year and a half earlier, he had told Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We read of Moses lifting up the serpent in the book of Numbers. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water. And we loathe this miserable food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it comes about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. When the Israelites acknowledged their sin and asked Moses to ask God to remove the snakes, God didn't do it. God didn't take away the painful reminder of their sin. But he did make a way for the final consequence of their sin to be removed. If they would look upon the uplifted bronze serpent in faith, the sentence of death would be removed. Likewise, Jesus told Nicodemus that the Son of Man would be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, we understand what he's saying. Those who believe in the uplifted Son of Man will not be spared all the consequences of their sins, but they will be saved from the final consequences of their sins, just as those who in faith looked upon the bronze serpent. Jesus then went further and told the Pharisees that when they lifted up the Son of Man, they would discover who he was. And by lifted up, he had something very specific in mind, something we understand, but they didn't. During the last week of his life, Jesus would say, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. John follows up that statement by writing that he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. 
Responding to the Pharisees' unbelief, Jesus prophesied his crucifixion. And he declared that after the crucifixion and subsequent resurrection and ascension, they would know who he was. And Jesus did rise from the grave. And at the ascension, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Indeed, it is the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension that set Jesus apart from every other religious leader. And together they confirm the truthfulness of his claims. After the Jewish leaders would lift him up, they would know who he is. And that what he had been telling them was the truth, and they would realize he was obedient to the Father in everything he did and said. And in particular, there were three things they would come to understand about Jesus. The first being that Jesus is I am. Jesus therefore said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Again, as we noted last week in verse 24, where Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. The he, added by the translators, is unnecessary and actually leads us a bit off course. Jesus didn't say, I am he. He simply said, I am. And I am is the name of God. I am means I exist. I have always existed and will always exist. I am is the eternal one. Jesus is saying here that after the crucifixion, they would realize that he was indeed the eternal one. They would no doubt feel that they had rid themselves of Jesus after nailing him to a cross. They would assume that to be the end of him. But it wouldn't be. Three days later, he would be back, proving that he was more than a man, proving that he was God, the eternal one, the I am. He could voluntarily give up his life for a time to pay the penalty for the sins of the world, but he could not be done away with. The crucifixion and resurrection proved that Jesus is God and that what Jesus said was true. He said, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. The Jewish authorities were always questioning Jesus' authority. They wanted to know where he got the authority to teach because they knew he hadn't graduated from their schools. They wondered who commissioned him or if he was simply acting on his own as a self-proclaimed Messiah. No answer he gave them would satisfy them. But the crucifixion and resurrection would take away any legitimate question as to Christ's authority. But also prove that he was not alone in what he did. They killed him. They silenced him. But he rose to speak 
again. They were dealing with more than just a man. They were apparently dealing with God. At the very least, they were dealing with one who had been authorized and sent by the Heavenly Father. One who did as the Father ordered, who said what the Father told him to say, and who could be silenced by no man. You know, anyone can claim to have been sent by God, and anyone can claim to be speaking for God. But Jesus proved it. In fact, he had proved it earlier. When the paralytic was lowered through the roof into Jesus' presence, the first thing Jesus said was, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes immediately assumed he was blaspheming because no one but God could forgive sins. Jesus responded to their challenge by asking, which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? You know, anyone could say, your sins are forgiven, but how could it be proven that someone had been given the authority to speak and act on behalf of God and forgive sins? Well, Jesus proved he had the authority to do that which only God could do by linking his statement to an action that could only be done by God. He proved he could forgive sins by telling the paralytic, rise and take up your stretcher and go home. One claim was verified by a miracle. Now, all his claims were verified by the miracle of miracles, the resurrection. Jesus proved that everything he had said was the word of God by rising from the dead. He said he would rise again, and he did. Now, if the most unbelievable claim was verified by the resurrection, everything he said was verified by the resurrection. Finally, the crucifixion and resurrection would prove his faithfulness to the will of God. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. In the darkness of the cross, Jesus would cry, My God, my God, why, why? Hast thou forsaken me? The anguish of bearing the sin of the world and being cut off from the Father while doing so was almost more than Jesus could bear. But the Father had not forsaken him. He had not left him alone, and the resurrection would prove it. The disciples didn't understand why Jesus was going to the cross. His enemies taunted him while he was on the cross with, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And the unrepentant thief cried, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But Jesus didn't save himself. He had come to do the Father's will. And it was the Father's will and his own will that sinners be saved through his sacrificial death. So he did what pleased the Father. No matter what others thought, no matter what it cost him, 
It was the resurrection that proved what he did was indeed the Father's will. In fact, the crucifixion and resurrection answered the fundamental questions about Jesus. It removed all doubts as to his identity. It proved that he was God, that his word is the word of God, and that he can be trusted. Furthermore, it demonstrated beyond a shadow of doubt that he was doing the Father's will when he went to the cross in our place. There remains, therefore, no reason for us to doubt him, nor to go through life without him. He is the Savior, the Son of God, the great I am. Do you believe that? Have you confessed it? Have you accepted his offer to forgive your sins, to come into your life, and to never forsake you? Has he become your savior and your friend for all eternity? Do you know him today? Do not turn him away.